What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, David Nichols. We have an incredible conversation covering the impact of our fathers in our own lives, how to shift the narrative of your past, differing parenting styles and how to work together all the way to building relationships with our kids for the long term. Enjoy meeting my friend, David. David, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. It's super good to see you again, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Ned. Glad to be here. Yeah, I love it. You know, what's so cool is you and I met at a CrossFit box in Texas. And what I love about CrossFit is when I travel now, I'll just schedule a week out, you know, at a box or something. And then I get to meet rad people. And you are the owner of that facility, I believe, with your wife. And so we just got to rapping about life and family and God. There was just a cool connection one morning. And so ever since then, I thought it'd be super fun to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I know. It's moments like that make my job a lot easier waking up early in the morning to coach a class at 4.30, you know, and 5.30 a.m. Just being able to connect with people is what I like to do. And so it was pretty fun just meeting you and having no idea your background and just being able to, like you said, kind of instantly connect on a few common themes that we have in our lives. Yeah, well, kudos to you guys too, is, is I'll just say right out the gate that the community you have built there is just phenomenal. I mean, seeing so many classes so early in the morning, people really, really vibing together. So kudos. So I'll ask you about that in a minute here. I want to give people a little understanding of who I'm talking to. So how old do you find yourself today? I'm 43. 43. Do you feel 43? Usually the first 20 minutes of every day, I feel about 53 and then it gets better as the day goes on. So. <laughs> Love it. All right. And then when you feel 53, what's the secret to get back down to feeling uh, 43? Is it any kind of stretching? Is it water? What, what's your secret? Usually it's just a cup of Folgers, plain Folgers coffee, and then rubbing my eyes and realizing I got to get my body moving for the day. So nothing super fancy. Love it, dude. Okay. How many years you've been married? My wife and I, Lindsay, we've been married for 12 years now, just celebrated 12 years back in July. Congratulations. And then Thank how you. many kiddos do you have? We have three kids. Our oldest son is Dawson, and he's a fourth grader. Then we have Graham, and he's a second grader. And then our daughter, Kennedy, is kindergarten. So they're all 23 months apart and all three very, very different. Yeah, no doubt about that. And then you're cutting it off. We done there at three? We are. We are. Nice. Okay, so, cool. You live in Texas. And then tell me a little bit about what it is you do for a living. I kind of leaned into it already. But what is it that you do for a living with your wife? So I'm born and raised in Texas, born out in Abilene, which people call that West Texas, but it's really kind of central. Texas moved up to the Metroplex back in 05 and dabbled in a few things, but got back into training. And now I've owned a CrossFit gym for the last 15 years. We celebrated that back in September. 
we're kind of an oddity. My wife and I own and operate. So on a daily basis, we're in and out coaching classes, doing all the back end stuff. That's what we do for our quote paid job, which is as glorious and unglorious as it can sound. Do you guys like flip a coin of who's going to get up and do the first class the next day or what? No. So we have set schedules, which is nice. We actually just run our business as if it was an actual business and not from a self-employed standpoint. So we have schedules. I still coach in my mind more classes than any of our other coaches. So I coach about 15 hours a week and then we alternate. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I coach a couple early classes. So 445 and then my wife on Tuesday, Thursday has the early morning shift. So whoever's staying home gets to take the kids to school. Nice. And then typically when I don't have a podcast to do, we usually go and pick them up together at three. So it's fun being able to own a business, but then also raise a family, not feel like you have to give on one to do the other the right way. Yeah, for sure that you can build that culture with your wife. Now, how was that transition, right? So clearly you said you started this gym 15 years ago. You've been married 12 So at some point, there was this transition where you are not the single owner operator of the CrossFit gym and your wife joined you in that. How did that go? How was that transition? Not only getting married, but her being a part of the business with you. Yeah, I know. It's a wild story. I'll make it short because I'm a little long winded, but I was training at a Globo gym locally in town part time. And then I was on staff with Young Life full time. I was doing both of those and then really felt that going into training full-time and stepping aside from Young Life was the right choice at a time. And right around that time was when I happened to meet my wife. She was in college at the time and her and her friends were in a boot camp of mine that I ran. And kind of long story short, but a co-ed softball league, we needed another player. And so I asked her friend who played college soccer to come and play on our team. And so then we, through a series of events, got connected. But the first year when I opened the original CrossFit gym, For us, it was in a 10 by 13 garage in a garage apartment down the street from where our current location is. And so I rented out of that for about six months. And then we went into a building. The people that gave us the space were on Young Life Committee and just one day took me to lunch and said, man, we've been praying about it. And we're cleaning our garage out so that you can open a CrossFit gym. Wow. It's kind of interesting how that played out. And then from there, we sat down once for some lunch and he said, "Okay, we're going to go drive around town and we're going to find you another building. (laughs) And it was kind of like ushered in and then ushered out. And the Zimmlers, I owe a lot to them for just their care for me at that time. But transitioning and being on my own, I lived with some guys and I found myself at the gym all the time. So this is the first time I've made this public, but I actually moved out of a house I was in with three guys and lived in one of the offices at the gym when we first opened. I put a storage sign up on the door, then a deadbolt, and I just told people it's storage. And I actually lived there for about six months. I just knew really with what I wanted to do, staying with those guys wasn't going to be the best option. I also knew that I could save about $400 a month in rent if I was going to live there. So I did that. Lindsay was in school. She ended up graduating and she is on pace to become a teacher. So she has a degree in education. And when she started doing her student teaching her last year, we went from seeing each other pretty much all the time, you know, outside of her going to class and stuff to she had come in work out after school. I'd wake up early, I'd coach, and then I'd have my day, and then she would come, and she'd be off school, and then want to kind of hang out, and I'd just be spent. She graduated semester early, so she was graduating in December, and we just had a conversation, 
of, hey, this is what I'm going to do long term. And I don't know how we can facilitate any kind of relationship if I work off hours and she's working middle of the day. We just would never see each other. She couldn't get a job immediately because it's middle of the semester. And so she did some long-term sub stuff, but then started helping out around the gym. And then I convinced her to go get her level one with three of my other coaches, former coaches now. But I said, hey, I'll pay for it. You go get your level one. And that way, if you ever need to coach, you can. And I was like crossing my fingers. She'd give up the teaching thing. And then she actually ended up finding a huge clerical error that I made in billing in May of that year. And she said, you need me more uh, on the business than anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah. I joke that I made that error on purpose, but I really didn't. And it was a costly error, but she ended up saving it and finding it. And then from then on, I'm really close with her folks. They kind of knew my vision and knew who I was. And so they're like, okay, I guess we just paid for a degree, but she uses it that education degree on a daily basis as far as class management and working with people. And she's been able to still use that degree, even though she's not formally in the class, you know, in a classroom in a formal setting. But it was a challenge there, opening the business, being full-time in that while still trying to date her and have friendships and take care of myself at the time and from a working out standpoint. And that was probably three of the darkest and hardest years, honestly, of our relationship and even in my life. Satan got a hold of me and just really got me distracted by a lot of stuff and made some decisions I've been forgiven for, not only by my wife, but also the Lord and other people involved. Those three years were tough, but we were able to come out of that time, get married and enjoy the ride since then. So looking back, we do laugh about how all of that worked from living in the gym to I had a billing year and basically I didn't bill people for one month. And she's like, how could you do this? And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I have money in the bank. So then that led me to a lot of growth from a business standpoint. And then spiritually getting really bogged down and distracted led me to really dive back into developing myself. That was a catalyst for a lot of change in my life. Dude, I love it. Love it. What a good story. When you think about that season to then getting married to then becoming a father, at what point did you embrace fatherhood? So was it from the moment you heard, hey, you're going to be a dad or hey, maybe we're planning to have a kid. But now, you know, you've got three kids. At what point did you go, man, being a dad matters big time? Well, honestly, probably before I had kids, this is maybe something we'll get into later, but becoming a dad was something I always wanted to be, but I also never wanted to be my dad. And there's a lot to that. So I was eager to be a father. I was eager to be what my dad was to me for a lot of my life, then also to be what he was unable to be at times. Man, I have six siblings. We're all like full brother, sister, you know, no have. I didn't want seven kids, but I knew I wanted a handful, you know, was eager to be a dad. Finding out Lindsay was pregnant with Dawson was like, man, this is freaking awesome. I have no idea what I'm going to do, but we'll figure it out. And that's a lot of, but that's kind of my attitude with a lot of things in life. And honestly, it got sweeter with each child, not the kids individually, but like the weight and the gravity of it. I like to consider myself more of a pressure environment kind of person that when the pressure's on, I perform really well. So the pressure of more kids, it really just was invigorating. And there's moments, obviously, of complete freak out. Like, yeah. what what am I going to do? It's more, how can I keep my kids from making the decisions that I made that I regret? That's the weight of it. Also, like, will they like me? Will they like some of the same things that I like? I would say, but prior to even having kids, 
I was already embracing that role, but then it just grew as we had more children. I like the statement when you said, will they like me? Do you mean that now or do you mean that before you had kids? Before, now, and in the future. Why is it important that your kids like you? Well, because I think that it's easy to love someone out of, I don't want to say obligation, but I mean, you can love someone, but not like being around them. For you sure. Know, you, can, you can care for somebody and man, I want my kids to want to go to work with me. I want my kids to want to come and interrupt us here in a few minutes whenever they get home from school. I want my kids to want my attention and want me because I know that fatherlessness leads to so much heartbreak in this world. And I say that because of studies and whatnot, not because I have the empirical data, right? I've just always wanted my kids to want to be around me. I love hunting. I love the outdoors. I love cooking. And I just would love to have activities shared with my children so that we can build that relationship together. We went hunting last spring, me and the boys, we went turkey hunting. There is so much bonding that happened sitting, waiting for turkeys to come out for three hours out in the sticks. It's just moments like that you can't replicate if you're not sharing activities together. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I was going to dig into this. Will they like me? Because I want my kids to like me too. But then balancing the how am I showing up? And am I still parenting them and still being their dad? And obviously, I know what you're getting at. But the two statements you made that I think just help kind of like lock in for dudes to understand the importance of this, as you said, I want them to want my attention, not for your sake, but for the mutual benefit. And then you said, I want them to want to be around me. So with that in mind, if we're thinking about that, as far as like a dad being the kind of dad that the kids want to be around, that's really up to you and me. Like, am I the kind of man that anybody wants to be around, especially my kids? So when you think about that, what are the things that you're doing to ensure that you are the man, human, that, I mean, A, anybody would want to be around, but especially your children? Well, I think to answer for any human is to, I think, to be authentic, which I love that word, but now it gets thrown around a lot. But I could be authentically an asshole. No, you can. But even in that aspect, like being authentic to who you are, at some point, somebody's going to like that. Um, yeah, okay, with that's my, true. You can either repel or attract. But I think stepping into, just from a general sense, I think if you press into who God has called you to be, mm-hmm. you embrace that God has gifted you, designed you, and set up a destiny for you. And we don't have to get in predestination, but set up a path for you, for His glory, and you can embrace that, regardless of what that role is. I think you can walk in freedom that then makes you authentic. So I think that can make you likable from a general standpoint of, man, this guy has confidence. This guy Mm. is good with walking in his skin. From a kid standpoint, the challenge that I think all parents have when you have multiple kids is they're all going to be different, but then similar. And if you think of like a Venn diagram with three circles, that's how I see my kids. My oldest is a chess champion of a school. He had this killer mullet was like almost two and a half feet long. Dang. He loves reading. He's in the gifted and talented program. He's bent that way. My middle son is class clown, goofy, like great jokes, and an athlete and just a natural athlete. He's two years younger, about an inch and a half taller and seven pounds heavier than his older brother. And then my daughter is 100% 
dancer, cheerleader, oddly enough, knows more Taylor Swift songs than most people should know. (laughs) And she's five. She wants glitter and paint and toenails. We have all these different personalities. And when I say I want my kids to like me and want to be around me, I want them to like want my attention. It's the same as I want to be around people that care about me, people that share into my interest or care about my interest. So I'm not a big chess player, but you know what I've done is I've learned to play chess. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, and it's because I get to hang out with my son. I use sports. We can get into this in a minute. I used to be a passive participant in youth sports. And then when I realized that, man, like I have opportunities to not only have a great teaching moment for all the kids, but also to be a part of my son's lives. So now I like coach my middle son, any opportunity I can. I'm the head coach of his sports team. That's awesome. And just for your listeners, it's all recreational. We're not paying for anything yet. He's too young. And then my daughter, she paints my toenails. I paint her toenails. We play Barbies together. We'll sit in her room and color her Squishamilla coloring book and listen to Taylor Swift. And that's what I think, that's them liking me. That can help describe that. I don't want to be their best friend. I'm for sure going to be their parent. But also, I think there's an element to, in Young Life, a phrase we used a lot was, win the right to be heard. And you win the right to be heard by engaging in like real authentic relationships with people and caring about them. I struggled and struggle to this day at times flirting with this line of authoritarian versus a compassionate parent and wanting compliance versus obedience. But then also realizing that my oldest son is very similar to me and you. I I don't want to assume you, but we're probably very similar in a lot of ways. He is definitely rebel. He is definitely not passive. He loves control. He's very creative. Where my middle son is you give him a list. He's actually probably done the list before you gave it to him because it's the same list you would have given to him already. He's memorized it. And then my daughter's a mixture of both. So how can you parent one child one way and the other child a different way without compromising and comparing the two and then allowing that to create animosity or favoritism towards one of the kids? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great point. And then just to bring in another piece to this, which you kind of brought up as something to talk about is diverse parenting styles. It's not only you trying to navigate three different humans, but then you got you and your style, and then you've got your wife and her style. So you're bringing a whole nother layer to this. So talk to me about that component of it. Yeah, that's uh, very, very complex because we do have two different parenting styles. They're both great. Which and one's they better? Both work, I'm just kidding. Both equal. <laughs> no, no. I'm pointing to myself. No, but we just approach things different. You yeah. know, there's a lot of good cop, bad cop at times. I think what's neat is for the most part in our relationship between Lindsay and I, if we see one parent getting to a boiling point, the other parent has the ability to go over and say, hey, you need to leave or hey, let's walk away, let's start over. And that's actually really helpful because it goes both ways. And then the best thing about it is the other parent doesn't get offended by it because it's easy to get caught up in the moment of whatever the situation is and kind of lose track. And then there are times where we're tired and we don't want to parent well. We are selfish. So the other spouse gets to be able to pull that out then it is challenging. But knowing that although we have different parenting styles, our children also respond to us differently. If you're familiar with the Enneagram or personality finders and stuff, my oldest and I are pretty similar. And then my wife and my middle are very similar. And 
And like I said, my daughter's somewhere in between. And so there are moments where I just need to connect with my oldest in a different way because I actually have way more empathy because I know exactly what he's thinking. And mm-hmm. I know his fears. I know his concerns. And then my wife, the same way with Graham. She understands as a perfectionist why X, Y, and Z would upset him or why he may feel offended about a comment that was harmless. And so it just boils down to communication and also humility, understanding that my perspective isn't always the right one and that our marriage should be an example to the kids of how to communicate our behaviors and example to our children. Yeah. So are these conversations you and your wife have had beforehand or regularly the example of communication and humility and that, hey, because like if you walk, if I'm pissed off and you walk over to me right now and you're like, hey, Ned, I think maybe you need to calm down. I'd be like, screw you, bro. If we hadn't had a previous conversation. So just curious as to how you have set the expectation to be able to come over and connect with each other in the heat of like, we woke up at 4am this morning and we're exhausted from five days of work and my kids push me to the edge. Yeah. So that's a great segue into our book, How to Resolve Conflict with Children. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't have a method to it or anything. I think we just had some conversations about it. And a couple years back with the church that we attend, the Village Church here in Flower Mound, we got an opportunity to go through a leadership development class. And in that, we went through the Patterson Center's Life Plan, which is a phenomenal resource. But in that, you do a lot of deep work with yourself. We did that together as a couple in a class. That just really jump-started a lot of conversations. You have to go through and basically look at your family of origin and really begin to dissect some things. That just jump-started conversations of, hey, what kind of turning points are we giving our kids when we do X, Y, and Z? And so it just was a little more organic than anything else. And then now it's just known of, hey, let me handle this. Yeah. My opinion is it always goes well, even though I'm probably the one that's being ushered out most of the time, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, you said it happened organically, but I think that there was a lot of intentionality for you to go take a leadership class together. And I would love to see more couples invest in themselves, not just individually, but together, right? Like dudes listening, is your wife listening to this podcast with you right now? No, you're growing yourself, which is killer, important, do that. But how many things are we doing with our spouse to grow? The reason why I think we experience a lot of conflict is we get married, we buy a house, we have kids, we get jobs. We're kind of like working on these things in the chaos, but to peel ourselves out of the daily life and go to a leadership class or a parenting class or a financial peace class or these things that come up and we go, we don't have time to do that. That's true. You don't have time to do that. You have to make time to do those things so that then you're having these quote unquote, organic conversations that aren't happening at Tuesday before you take the kids to school or Tuesday night when you're freaking exhausted from getting the kids in bed. You got to create the space for this, which I think is really critical. When you think about becoming a father, David, what have you learned about yourself? I mean, you're in the gym, you're a coach, you've done some development, etc. But in having kids, what have you learned about yourself? Or what have they taught you? Yeah, they taught me I don't have very much patience, but I'm pretty selfish and I like things my way. Now, those are things I kind of knew, but they're always multiplied with kids. Honestly, what I learned the most, though, about myself is my family of origin 
had a much more dramatic impact on my life than what I wanted it to be. So I mentioned it earlier, and I'll talk about it a little more in depth here. But my parents were married for 30 years. They had seven kids. My dad was a high school basketball coach, extremely successful here in the state of Texas, eventually coached in college, was successful in college. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for the most part. We grew up with enough, but never really extra, which was fine. But, you know, in middle school, when all the other kids are wearing jerbos and you're like rocking Wranglers and not cool cowboy Wranglers, just regular Wrangler jeans, it's hard to digest. So there started to be some identity struggles at that time. And when I say identity, not today's identity, but identity of, man, like, why am I not cool? Or am I cool? Or do I fit in? Do I not fit in? Why do we live in a small rent house and all my friends live somewhere else? And just struggling with that stuff. But then my dad ended up, he and I were like really super close growing up. Him being a coach, me being really into athletics and sports. I would go to basketball camps with him across the country, help with basketball camps. And we were really close and did a lot of things where it was just like me and him. He had always say, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And then in November of 1999, my freshman year of college, I had gone to pick up my brother, my little brother from school for my mom because she was working at that time. I go home and my dad's there and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you for a little bit. I was like, okay, then talk to me. It's weird that you're, you know, introing a conversation. And he just said he was leaving my mom. And over the course of a few months or so, we realized he had been having some affairs and has been seeing a woman and decided that he was going to leave my mom for this woman. That was tough because in third grade, he baptized me. He officiated my brother's wedding. He is pastor of the church we kind of grew up in on the side. You know, he's coaching and pastoring at the same time. And so that was just really challenging to like sit there and just be like, what? Like, how is this happening? That's heavy. But then the wrestle started after that of Satan just saying, oh, man, that's how you're going to turn out to be. You're going to be just like him. Because growing up, that's what everybody always told me. You're just like your dad. You're going to be just like him when you grow up. You're going to be a pastor and a coach. Man, I spent probably subconsciously, I know it wasn't conscious, but subconsciously, I spent several years of my life trying to resist any opportunity to do that. But man, the Lord just has a funny way of making his plan work. So at the church that we go to now, I've shared this testimony in several men's retreats and with several groups of guys, Justin Elifrost, who's kind of, I would call him my boss, if you will, up there, but I'm not, I'm just volunteer. He laughs because he calls me the CrossFit pastor because lo and behold, I'm a coach and then have the opportunity to minister at the gym and minister up at the church. And so it's just ironic that God took something that Satan was trying to ruin me with and then turned it into something really beautiful. My kids really showed me, or just being a parent, because I was struggling with some anger and frustration of, why are they not doing what I said they should do? You know, and it's like, well, well, they're 18 months old. They're probably not going to listen, right? <laughs> but then realizing that I had a lot of junk in my own life that I needed to deal with in that same leadership class. That's where a lot of that came out, like really beginning to understand that there are things in my story that have molded and shaped me. And some of those good, and God has given me gifts. And those gifts are for him and for me and to share with the kingdom when I can kind of conquer some of the skeletons in the closet in more detail and more depth, then there's freedom. And I don't have to walk around thinking I have to be a certain way or act a certain way. My kids have to be a certain way. That may seem odd that like diving into my own story and realizing 
that there is way more pain than what I wanted to give credit to it because I'm a guy and that kind of stuff's not supposed to hurt me at 19, that it was painful. It was really painful. Being able to live in freedom through Christ is where that pain will begin to be healed and will heal over time. Yeah, I just think that it's so powerful for dudes to understand that their story is such an opportunity to impact, right? Because when you share your story, now I feel connected to you. I feel like I understand you. I feel like we're both real men with real, not problems, but real stories that we've lived life. Mm -hmm. And, And your story gives you credibility and power to have influence out in the world because so many people are walking around operating in pain and hurt. And there's hope in that though. That's what you're sharing is that even though life happens, there is hope. And you can operate from that hope because the reality is life is messy, but those stories don't define us. Your dad's situation didn't define who David became. I mean, it did, but not in the negative light. You got to decide how does this story shape my life? And that came from work acknowledgement and digging into that. No, and I think that's the challenge for our generation of men. One of the things I think is the most Useful tool. Now, uh, I wrote this down as a note, but like I love people's stories. Like I love just to sit and hear someone's story because every time I hear someone's story, it makes my story all that much more real, but also like less crazy and less. Yes. Yes. I like that. Less defeating feeling because you start hearing everybody's story and everybody has very similar. It looks different, but very similar wounds and hurt that then creates defense mechanisms that don't allow their gifting and their soul to really be what it's designed to be. And I think Satan does a great job of lying and deceiving us into thinking that you're a wimp or a wuss or insert whatever other word if you allow certain things to affect you or if you feel a certain way or Satan will get you to think you're the only person in this situation. The more you talk to guys and can create real genuine conversation, the more you realize, man, we are all in the same boat paddling upstream. And if we just all get our paddle in the water, we can beat the current. But when we're passive and we don't put our paddle out because we're afraid, then that's where we get tripped up. And I say that because I've lived that before. In my mind, I needed to be what everybody else was wanting out of me. And there's not very much freedom in that. It was very performance-based over time. And then I realized that I had sacrificed a lot of the early years of my kids' lives and my marriage to do things that I thought people wanted out of me. And then when you realize God designed and is asking for something much greater, and you can walk in that freedom and pursue that, then there's just a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. Yeah, something you said earlier, sometimes I struggle with God has a plan for your life stuff. I think just the way that I grew up searching for a certain particular plan, like is Ned supposed to walk down this road at this time, et cetera. But I do think love and then love others as yourself brings me back to a statement you made is be comfortable in your own skin. So I think as men, as fathers, if we can be comfortable in our skin, accept who we are, love ourselves, then we're able to love those around us well. 
especially our kids who are half of us, which we know based on this conversation, the impact you and I have as fathers on our children is enormous. Just like even at 40 and 43 years old, our father's impact is still impactful to us. So I love that because one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids, you know, next to showing them how a marriage works is choosing to love ourselves and showing them like, I love myself, but I'm also becoming and growing. So any thoughts on that before we got about 10 minutes left and I have four questions I really want to ask you. So any last thoughts on that? Yeah, I think a lot of people should struggle with God having a singular purpose for your life, a single road. You know, I once heard it said that if there is only one person for you to marry, all it takes is one person to screw up the rest of the world. But I I think when I say that from the path that the Lord has me is understanding that for me in the Patterson Center stuff, we had to write a, a statement. And here's my statement. I exist to exemplify steadfastness while empathizing with people to connect them to other people, experiences, or themselves. That's my purpose. That's what I need to do. It's with people. How do I empathize with my kids and connect them? How do I empathize with my clients or my wife or you or a stranger or the telemarketer that keeps calling? I mean, there's ways to do that Yes. in a very, very broad, general sense, but then also it's very specific. That's what kind of what I was meaning by following that. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And to hear your statement is so good for dudes because like literally you could be a doctor or a coach or a teacher or I mean, a manager at Walmart. Like you could literally do anything and you could go live that out. Absolutely. And I think that's important for people to hear, especially for those who may feel like, man, I'm missing out on the plan. No, you're not. Like go live your life with what's in front of you. Now you might have to make some shifts or whatever, but you can go operate as you're empathetic and your people connector. So those things are going to come out. Cool. You found something you also enjoy. You also really enjoyed CrossFit. But if you are, God forbid, you know, in a wheelchair and not able to do CrossFit, you would be able to take that statement and go apply it to something else in some other field, you know, not that you couldn't still coach that, but you get what I'm saying. Okay. So I got some questions I want to jump in and ask you. This podcast is fatherhood field notes and you've clearly done it. I mean, you've connected us to your life's field notes. The mantra is rebel and create. When you think about what's something you're rebelling against and not just to be destructive, but to create something in its place, what are you rebelling against and what are you creating? I actually had my wife help me with this one. You know, for me, really rebelling in passivity and just sitting on the sidelines and just avoiding the difficulties of fatherhood. It's easier to be selfish, pass on all the responsibilities to Lindsay because she's the mom. And it's easier for me to sit in the stands and be at practice every week coaching. Literally, you know, it's easier for me to not learn how to play chess than it is to learn how to play chess. I'm really trying to rebel against being passive and just being a bystander, just watching my kids grow up and my Mm -hmm. family grow up. I love that, dude. I love that. And one of the pieces I really like about that is that you asked your wife. I think it's important for dudes to hear, not that I'm a passive dude and I need my wife to help me, but to understand that my wife should be the person who knows me best and that I can come, they can speak into my life in a way that no other person can. And I know that's the relationship you and Lindsay have. And so I think that's really beautiful. Okay, next question. What's something as a dad that you are concerned about? Now, I know like we don't want to be worriers. Okay. But as a dad, what's something that 
is top of mind in this season of life that you're kind of keeping an eye on the pulse of? Yeah, man, it's sad, but it's content. It's content that my kids, we're public school kids. We live where we live because the quality of the schools. But there's already been examples last year when my son was in third grade. I'll be real brief. It's a great story, but him and Lindsay have a great relationship. And he, on the way to the dentist one day, asked my wife what Pornhub.com was because in third grade, someone had mentioned that at the table. And she's like, well, where'd you hear that? They're at lunch. And he said, oh, well, so-and-so said it and basically described whatever you think would be on that site to my wife and said that he called them liars and said that there's no way that kind of stuff would ever be on the internet. So that was eye-opening that an eight-year-old boy was having to process that. Man, when you said, dude, I got chills when you said, Because you think of the innocence of an eight-year-old and for him to go to his friends and for him to know, he knows what's right and wrong. We don't have to tell him, he knows. And for him to go, there is no way that that would be out in the world. Like freaking shame on us, dude. Shame on us for allowing that. The eight-year-old knows like this is not okay, yet we live and operate in a world where this just is. I mean, dude, as fathers, are we engaged in the content our kids are absorbing? Or are we so busy with our own stuff that we leave that to our wife or we leave that to the school or we leave that to the church, whatever? No, we got to be engaged. Now, it led to great conversations because we have a family affirmation statement that uh, they say in this car before school every day. One of the statements is, I deserve dignity, kindness, and respect, and I need to give others dignity, kindness, Mm. and respect. And so my wife just is able to like take that conversation and says, is that showing that doesn't show that girl dignity, kindness, or respect? And then it doesn't give the guys the same thing. That's the number one thing. It's just content in general. Yeah, Yeah. good. Okay, before my final question, I'm going to ask you this. Never asked this question before, but I want to ask it to get dudes to start thinking about this. All right. All right. What kind of father-in-law do you want to be one day? No, this is great because Lindsay and I are actually doing a study right now, Louis Giglio's Perfect Father, relating God to dads. I highly recommend that. Once again, it's deep work. It's deep work, but do it with your wife. Has filled a lot of voids that my dad has been absent in Mm -hmm. in the last 15 years of my life. Well, I guess longer than that. I can answer questions about my father-in-law that then she might have different answers to. There's been a lot of thinking on my end of, man, what do I want to be to the boys' wives and to Kennedy's husband? And there's a lot that goes into that. And I think that the more you can raise the bar for your kids, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, as far as the expectation of a spouse, and you can model and demonstrate what a real relationship marriage looks like. And then be honest with them. There are times where Lindsay and I have talked in a loud voice and my daughter's like, quit arguing. <laughs> and we're like, we're, we're actually really not arguing. Like we're just having a discussion, you know, but just having a home where like those kinds of things can be said and it's not as chaotic as some homes in America. But I think it's huge because I think about my relationship with my father-in-law and I just absolutely love it. Like wow. I love every I love aspect. That. I love hearing that. Dude, so good. So good. And I think that it's important for us to have that in our minds as fathers to be in tune with the past, with the present and with the future. 
is critical. So my friend, I know we could talk for another hour, but I'm going to ask you my final question here. And it's a legacy question. Imagine 30 years from now, you are standing out in the street, peering into the homes of your children. They're similar age to where you're at now. What is it that you're seeing played out in their homes? You put a smile on your face going, all right, I was that model I wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it's just on the floor playing with their kids, you know, metaphorically speaking, but just being engaged with who they are and then allowing them to grow and let their children grow and develop on their own, which is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, But just to see them very compassionate for their kids, very engaged in their kids, being really true with their spouse and being Mm. all in. Because I hate saying this, but it's really easy in marriage to put cruise control on because she's not going anywhere, but she has a heart. She has a soul. And I want to see my boys love the heck out of their wives, care about their kids, be fully invested in their kids. And then my daughter to be like absolutely in love with her husband and just be there for him and for her children. Ideally, they wouldn't live super far away, but if they did, then fantastic. And actually, according to all of them, we're going to live in their house when they get older. Heck they yeah. So make them, make them write not, it down. I may not even have to be peering from the street, you know? <laughs> oh, man. David, thank you. I love the imagery. I love the uh, couple things you said is playing on the ground with their kids. You just feel a sense of purpose, understanding, and freedom. And then I love the all in, especially on the marriage piece. We know how difficult marriage is. It is so hard, but also so worth it. Thank you for the man you are, the husband, the father, the leader, and that you're continuing to become and open to the things that God's just going to continue to show you. I've so loved having you on the show today. I really hope that I can come back into the gym with you sometime and get to be a part of the community there. Thank you for being on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for all the work you're doing for other fathers out there that are trying to find their way and do the best they can. Love it. Now, how do they find you and find your location? Yeah. So CrossFitFlowerMound.com is where you can find the gym. And then I'm on Instagram. I don't do a ton on there, but they can find me at training underscore days. So training underscore days. And those would be the two places to find me. Love it, bro. Well, any last thoughts or words before we go? No, I just want to encourage all the guys out there listening because I've listened to sermons or I've listened to a podcast or read a book where it has a call to action. And I just want to give that call to action. Like if you feel a tugging at any point during anything we talked about for the last several minutes of, I just don't know that I could do that. I just want to encourage all the guys to press into some prayer and then press into their wives, press into their kids. You will not regret it. Even if you have no idea where to start, start with something, you know, have a conversation. And then last thing is surround yourself with gray hairs, bald headed Mm. and young bucks. Mm. People around you that are about to go through it, guys that are going through it and then guys that have been through it, because that is key to real growth and development, in my opinion. And so I just want to encourage all guys to step into the game and then get some other guys around you to be in the game with you. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, dude. Powerful. I love the call to action. All right, my friend, thank you so much. Much love to you and your family. Same to you, Ned. Thank you. 
I so love this conversation, especially the part about our kids liking us. You know, what does that look like to build a relationship with our child where we're the parent or the disciplinary, but we're also creating a long-term relationship where our kids want to be around us because the way we speak to them, we treat them, we talk to them, we play with them, we know them, and they know us. Beautiful. Now, men, we must know who we are if we're going to show up for our kids that way. Now, the world would look and feel different if men showed up in their true fatherhood identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. This is why I launched the Adventure of Fatherhood. Go check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. I have three online courses. If you're a new dad, the intro to fatherhood. If you're a dad with a five-year-old to a 15-year-old just trying to navigate, that's the Discover Fatherhood. And once you go through one of those, I've got the 90-day, 18-year roadmap course. Go check it out, adventureoffatherhood.com. My dudes, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please, if you're on Apple or Spotify, write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dudes out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.